time last night at San Quentin, and uh, such a joy to be going there and to share worship with uh, the men there. It was a packed house, and uh, it was really fantastic. And uh, I shared uh, what I'm going to share with you with them last night, and um, one of the guys came up to me afterwards, and I was uh, really delighted with what he said, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. But I probably uh, talked too much about blacksmithing uh, because it may have to do with my infatuation with fire, which I've had for quite a while, and uh, I do enjoy the flame. I, I like a barbecue once in a while, and uh, certainly uh, enjoy it. What I've learned about blacksmithing is that a blacksmith needs two, two instruments, two critical items for blacksmithing to happen. He needs steel, and she needs fire. Steel and fire, and the goal of the blacksmith is to take that steel and to give it shape and strength. To give it shape and strength, and all you begin with is a block of steel, and it's always in the mind and the, the ability of the blacksmith that, that will determine what the finished product is. Because the blacksmith takes that steel and um, he will put it in a forge, and that steel gets heated up. And the forge is really interesting because the forge is really intense but a very specific and controlled fire. The forge of a blacksmith is, is not indiscriminate. It doesn't, it doesn't burn just anywhere, any old place, rampantly like a wildfire might. That's out of control. That's not what the forge of a blacksmith is. The forge of a blacksmith is very focused, it's very controlled, and it's very purposeful. But a forge is also not an incinerator. I've worked in grocery stores in my years growing up, and uh, when uh, products would come in large cardboard containers, we would cut those cardboard containers down, collapse them down, and uh, some grocery stores I worked at, they'd be put in a trash compactor and put in a big, giant pack bricks and sent off for recycling, and there were others that would go into an incinerator, and the whole point of the incinerator is that it's just a massive flame, and its goal is nothing other than to totally consume what's put into it. But that's not a forge's fire. The fire of the forge is not intended to utterly consume the material that the blacksmith puts in. In fact, that would totally undercut and undermine the purpose of what the smith is doing. The smith is intended to strengthen and to give shape to the steel. And the fire is hot, no doubt. This, um, we, aren't you glad that when you're sitting at the dinner table um, that you might have a steel fork in your hand? And if you ever eat it with plastic, Cutlery and a fork is broken off. Have you tried to ever done that? I've done that, and it's no fun, right? It's no fun to think, is this next fork going to break? Aren't you glad that most of the time when you sit at the dinner table, the fork is not going to break off in your hand? Or if you're out working your garden, that your hoe or your shovel is not going to easily break. And you trust it because the steel and the metal used in it has been fashioned, it's been shaped, it's been uh, hardened and strengthened. And that's just what, what happened. The, the inmate came up to me afterwards uh, last night, and he, he says, uh, he says, I used to work at a forge in Colorado. Now, if you've done much public speaking, and you're talking on topics that you don't have a lot of experience in, it's like, oh, okay, did I, did I say it rightly? <laughs> and he said, that's exactly how a forge works. I said, whew, okay. That was good. He said he used to make pliers in the spores. Western Fork Foundry, I think is what he said, in Colorado. And, and he said it's exactly right. When this, the metal is heated, it's put under a hammer. And, and in that hammering process, if the metal is not strong, it breaks and it's thrown away. And that's what happens with a black 
blacksmith. He takes the steel, he puts it in the hot forge, that controlled fire, not to utterly consume the material. But he's heating the material. The material, as it expands, he's able to take it out, and when it's, it's red hot, he puts it on the anvil and begins to hammer it. And that hammering is for several purposes. One is to give it the shape, he wants to flatten it, maybe curve it, whatever he's doing, if it's a knife or a, a hoe or a hammer, whatever it might be, he's giving shape to it. But also in the process, he's taking the molecules and those molecules that are being condensed and they're being compacted together so that there's hardening of it so that it's an effective, strong tool. That, that's his goal, is to give it shape and to give it strength. And there are moments in our lives when God calls you and me into his forge because he also wants to do additional shaping in your life and additional strengthening of your life, and the forge can be hot, and uh, but God's forge, just like the blacksmith, it's never haphazard. It's never, it's never an out of control flame. It's, it's intentional, both for your life and for the bigger thing that God is about, as He's working in your life along the way. That God's forge is not intended to consume you utterly, because He wants to work with you and through you to fulfill His purpose on this earth. And you and I, when we are invited into the forge of God, we have the opportunity now to participate with God's work in us and around us. And here's what it, it depends upon in our response to God. It's, will we trust God? Will we trust God when He is laying out a path ahead of us that maybe is unexpected? Will we move with God to a new place of faith, a deeper sense of understanding, and, and trust even if we don't yet understand what is happening because God wants to shape our lives. The Lord is described in Scripture as a refining fire, describes uh, trials and episodes of our life that are, that are hot and, and can come and, and create shaping and strengthening in us. And God's goal is to expand your life and to shape you along the way. Maybe this morning you have tasted some of God's fortune. As he's shaping you and, and wanting to call you to a deeper place of faith and reliance and trust in him. Maybe financially, uh, as Christmas and the end of the year has come, maybe you've been faced with a reduced commission or an uncertain job future, an investment that you hoped would, would reap great benefit is, is tanking totally and you're so disappointed. Maybe... Maybe God's begun to stir your heart for a new ministry or to be engaged in, in a way that He would have you, but it's going to require a major adjustment. If you were to say yes to God, it's going to require some major adjustments in your life. Maybe, maybe God is calling you to take your life and to replant yourself in a new country, a new place on the planet, so that through you God wants to begin a new church, whatever it is. God will begin to, to stir your life. And here's what's amazing when God works in your life. Is that it's always about what He's doing in the bigger picture. Because when God is working in you, it's not just for you. Okay, when, If that's our only focus, that becomes quite a selfish and self-centered sense of, of faith. But God has called you into the bigger goal of His work in the world. And as we'll see in the life of Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, that God is shaping Joseph's faith and in the process, of course, there's something massive that God is doing on the world stage and it is so important for us to understand. When God is working in you, He will inevitably work through your life and the working that He does in you will impact other people. That's the way God works and the way that He wants to bless His world through you. Would you open your Bibles Matthew chapter 1. We're going to look at 
verse 18. The story of Jesus coming with a particular focus on Joseph. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And he said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child, and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Jesus is coming into the world in this moment, and we we now we look at the Christmas story and we're very familiar with it, and we we know some of the details and the contours and the context of it, and, and we know what's happening. We know if, if we're Bible believing people, we know that that God miraculously, uniquely. Uh, made a conception of Jesus in the womb of Mary without her ever knowing a man. And here, Joseph, he is, he is betrothed to her, and we need to put ourselves in the way that the Scripture presents it into Joseph's shoes for a minute. And we need to think about the story. We looked at Mary a little bit last week, and now we're looking through the eyes of Joseph. And here, Joseph is betrothed. This is a really serious form of engagement. They, they promised their lives together. Their families have come together. There have been promises made, and gifts exchanged, and their life in some ways has already started. In fact, this was such a serious engagement, in order to break it, you'd have to go through something like a divorce. It was so serious. And to complicate matters, for Joseph, there was a common teaching of the day that if, if such matters happened, uh, where Joseph, looking through human eyes, I mean, Joseph knew how babies were made. You know how babies are made. Joseph knew that too. And Joseph knew he had not been with Mary. And so the only conclusion to come to is that she had been unfaithful because he knew how babies are made. And so he is described as someone as being righteous, that he just wanted to quietly, he didn't want to shame her, he didn't want to cause additional problems for her. Uh, this was a humiliation for him, and he just wanted to divorce her quietly. What complicated it was this common teaching of the day that if you found yourself in such a circumstance as this, that uh, many teachers would say, you're now no longer qualified, Joseph, to even marry this person. And so there's a lot of complex issues happening in Joseph's life. And so he rightly, humanly assumes he connects the dots, as I would have, as you would have, and in a dream, God shows up to give him a description of what's really happening. This angel, this messenger of the Lord, his words, which almost are always the words of the angel of the Christmas story, is do not be afraid to what? Do not be afraid, Joseph, to take Mary home to be your wife. Boy. <laughs> he is at a moment of a crisis of belief. 
He knows how babies are made. He knows an angel when he sees an angel. He knows the message he's given. And the question for Joseph is, will he respond and will he cooperate and participate in what God is doing, even if he doesn't yet understand, even if he can't provide answers to all the questions that must have been flooding his mind and heart? He is described, uh, Jesus is described as the one who would come. His name itself, Jesus, means God saves. It's a description of what God was about to do. But will Joseph trust beyond his own human perception? You see, the call of God to Joseph, to Joseph was to accept Mary and to accept the baby. To accept Mary and to accept the baby. And we talked last week, if you want to go back to the sermons online, we talked a little bit about how important it is to, to go through a process of discerning. When, when you have a sense of that God is stirring something in you, and, and you're trying to discern, is this really from God, or is this from uh, the indigestion from my meal last night, or what? why am I having this sense of, of prompting and inclination, and is this really from God, or is this just my own thought or voice, and... Uh, we talked through last week some of the ways to discern his activity, both from uh, testing your own inner spirit, what God is doing and speaking to you, but also sounding it off, bouncing it off other brothers and sisters in your community of faith. This is why God puts you into a church, is so that you have other mature believers around you, that you can go to them and go to that sister or that brother and say, I- I'm sensing that God is calling this from me. Does this sound crazy? Does God do this to people? Will He do this to me? And, and to begin to seek out their wisdom and to bounce that off of people. And God will put circumstances in your life. We looked at that last week. Of when you begin to sense this internal stirring of God, and there are times He'll put circumstances around your life that will help confirm, indeed, that these are uh, this is a sense of what God is calling you into. But Joseph, as he stands with the angel, that's what it would have taken for me, I think. <laughs> I don't know about you, but in those circumstances, the woman I'm engaged to is now pregnant. I know it wasn't me. It would have taken an act of God in such a way for me to trust that this was something so utterly unique in the history of the world. And that's just what Joseph does. He he chooses to cooperate with God. And so when you sense a stirring in your heart, God is calling you to something, but you have the opportunity to say yes or no to God. You have the opportunity to say, yes, I'm going to participate. I'm going to believe, and I'm going to move forward. I'm going to demonstrate my trust and my reliance on you, God, by these little steps that I'm taking forward. I I don't yet know the answer. I don't quite understand what's happening or why, but I know fully this is what you're calling me to. And so I'm going to take this step. And then there's another step, and that's how we begin to move forward with God. And along the way, God is shaping you, and He's expanding your faith, and He's calling you to a new place of reliance on Him, a deeper understanding of how He's at work in your life, and how He's at work in the world and wants to work through you. You see, the angel shows up to Joseph, and he confirms that this is a unique pregnancy. And Joseph was given clear instructions. Joseph, here's your calling. You're to take Mary home as your wife. You're going to give the baby a name. His name will be Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. And his name will be Emmanuel because he is God with us. 
And I think that must have been so important. It would have been for me if I were Joseph to know that this is really God with us. You mean God is going to walk with me through this moment that's so challenging and hard? Yeah. Because God is the blacksmith of our lives and He's going to strengthen and shape Joseph just like He does for you and me. Are you telling me, Bryce, that, that Joseph said yes to God even if he didn't understand all the implications? That's right. That's what faith is. It's stepping forward. Even though we still have questions, we've discerned and we've, we've confirmed as best we can this is what God is stirring me to do. And now I'm moving forward in faith. Because faith is being assured of what we hope for and confident of things that are yet unseen. That's the essence of faith in our life. And so Joseph says yes to God, even though he doesn't know that in a short amount of time he would be fleeing the sword of Herod, seeking to kill the babies two years old and younger in that town. He did not know that when he said yes to God. He did not know when he said yes to God that there would come a day when he would be a refugee because in a foreign country because he said yes to God. That these are some of the implications. But I want to ask you, aren't you glad that Joseph said yes to God? Aren't you glad? Yes. Yes. Was it challenging for Joseph? Of course it was. Of course. God does not call us to ease. He calls us to obedient faithfulness. That, that's the challenge of faith. And my friends, brothers and sisters, God does not call us to walk around the challenging things. He says, I am Emmanuel and I will walk with you through the challenging things. Because it's in the walking through them that your growth happens. It's in the forge of faith that your reliance on God grows. It's in the heat of that controlled, intentional fire of your life when you are face to face with the crisis of belief and you have to determine, am I going to trust God or am I going to say no to God? And it's in the saying yes to God that your, your faith is deepened, your sense of trust is put to the test and you grow in Him. God is shaping you so that you will grow and you're not the same today as you were a year ago. This Christmas is not the same for you as it was last year or five years ago. And it's not just a ho-hum, here's my Christian life. No. God has called you to faithfulness and to the grand adventure of life with Him. And I want to say to you again, if you think Christian life is dull or boring, I don't believe you have a vision of Christian living. Because God is doing amazing things in the world and He's inviting you to be a part of it. And the way you cooperate with God is by saying yes, even though you don't have answers to every question. It's by saying yes, even though you don't know how this is going to work out. You say yes, even though you don't know why this is happening or why it's happening to you. God wants to shape your life, and as He shapes your life, it will have an impact in the world around you. Because God is always doing something bigger than you. But He doesn't forget you. He's also working in you. Joseph's response was yes. Listen, in verse 24, here's his response. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. 
So Joseph says yes to God. How do we know? It's because he took Mary home. He he had decided to, he thought about divorcing her and putting her away quietly. Uh, but he said, no, I'm going to take her home. I'm going to trust God. Even though I don't know what all the implications of this would be, and I don't have all my questions answered, I'm going to trust God. I will step forward. And then he takes and he, he names Jesus. That, that's a, a biblical way in this, this moment of saying, I accept this baby as well. But a father gave a child a name that was saying, you are now mine. I claim you as my own. You see, Joseph trusts God, and his inner disposition is to say yes to God. Sisters and brothers, that, that is what faith is. As we grow in the Lord, there's an increasing disposition in us to say yes to God, to desire what God wants, because we know that is the life that really is worth living. It's the life that matters both in these years of our earthly walking and also for all of eternity. When you have sensed God stirring in your life and you've worked to confirm that movement, is there anything that would prevent you today from acting on what you've been sensing God stirring in your heart? What is it that holds you back today from saying yes to God? Maybe the challenge seems way too big. Maybe it feels like it's just it would cost too much. Maybe you think, man, that, that would require too much adjustment. If God is calling me to do this, whatever this is, it would require some massive shifts in my life, in the way that I'm doing things, the way that it become comfortable for me. But that's often the way God works. Is He calling you to new patterns and to new routines and to new habits so that you can know and to revive your trust in Him. I have shared with you in recent Christmases, and maybe as long as I'm with you, maybe there's, I don't know, maybe there's never a Christmas, I won't repeat this. But one of my favorite songs at Christmas time has increasingly become over the years is Good King Wenceslas. And uh, the reason I love it is because of the story around it. And, and here's how it goes, is that there's a king back in, in the Middle Ages, and he's got uh, it's a happy time in the kingdom, and he's invited everybody in the realm into his castle, and, and there's food spread out on the table, and a roaring fire, and everybody's warm and enjoying each other's company. And uh, it's getting dark outside, and the snow is beginning to fall harder and harder. And as the king walks by a window, he notices way out at the edge of a hill in the moonlight, he notices a figure of a man out collecting wood for his fire. The man is not in the castle. He's not there with them. And the king calls over his page. He says, hey, do you know who this is? And page says, yes, it's this guy. He lives over in the cave down under the mountain. And, and the king looks at his page. He says, get dressed and get the supplies because we're going out to him. And that's just what they do. They bundle up and they, they take firewood and they take some of the food off the table. And, and if the man wouldn't come to him, then he would go out to the man. And as they're going, the night gets darker and the snow gets heavier and the air gets colder and, and they're getting more and more tired. They ever walk through heavy snow. I remember one year I was out skiing and I snow skiing and I'd been told when you're over in this part of the mountain, do not take your skis off. I, I was probably 15 years old and I said, What do you know? So I, I wiped out, and I'm getting off, and I, I can't stand up, and I take my ski off, and snow up to my hip. I said, oh. As this king is walking with his page, the snow is getting heavier. If you ever walk through heavy snow for any length of time, you know how tiring it can become. 
And he keeps walking, and, and the king is determined to get to the man on the other side. And he is walking, but the page behind him is growing increasingly tired. And he's fatigued, and he feels like he can't go on any farther. In fact, he, he finally just collapses and says, King, just go on without me. And the king says, no, I'm not going to leave you behind. Here's what you're going to do. He says, I'm going to step right in front of you, and as I put a, the footprint in the snow... And I lift my foot and make another print. You're going to put your foot in that empty snow print behind me. And all the way, you're going to put your feet in my footprints. And you're going to follow exactly where I'm going. And we will get to our destination. And that's just what happens. The page is able to make it all the way. To greet the man. To love on the man. To welcome the man into the king's love and grace. And the page boy is right there beside him all the way. Because he stepped in the footprints of his king. And that's just what Jesus has done. That's just what Christmas tells us about, is that we could not get back to God, and so God has come to us, Emmanuel, God with us, that Jesus is the God who saves and comes into our world so that we can be with Him, and He loves us enough. And as we respond to Him in faith and we receive His gift of grace and salvation, then the rest of our lives is about learning to see where His footprints are ahead of us, Not just looking behind us. That's good too. But it's about living a life forward and seeing where Jesus is walking ahead of us so that you and I can put our foot right in the prints that he has left behind so that we are walking and keeping in step with him all the days of our life. So this morning, I want to invite you to be in prayer this week that God would place big things in your path. That He would place big things in your path, things that only He can accomplish for you and through you. Because that's how faith is developed in your life. Is when you face obstacles that seem insurmountable, that you cannot go around, and you need the Lord to walk with you through them, and your faith will grow. So pray that God would place big things in front of you. Pray today and this week that God would help you to see the bigger and the deeper and that he would help you to trust him in all things. Pray today, this week, that God will strengthen you through his forge of faith. Even though the fire is hot, that he allows you through it so that he can shape you and strengthen you. So that in his hands, you become an instrument into your world that is strong and prepared and made just for the task that God has for you. Pray that God can help connect you to this community of faith, that you would not neglect the gathering of your worshiping, of your time together with one another, because I don't know about you, when I'm in the forge of faith, I want to jump out. (laughs) It's uncomfortable. And I need you to help me stay there so that God can shape and strengthen me. And you need other people to help encourage you to stay there so that God can do His shaping and strengthening in you. May these be part of our prayers today and this week. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Living God, O refiner's fire, O holy blacksmith and forger of our lives, you are the God because of your great love for us. You you didn't stay in heaven and separated. You came to live among us. You are an angel, God, with us. Because you wanted us to be with you, you... You did what needed to be done, and you stepped into this world, into our lives, and through your cross, you invite us to your new life in you. 
So we pray today that, that if anyone does not open their heart and their life to you, that maybe this is the day that they would hear your call to salvation and that they would say yes to you. And there may be others this morning, Lord, who have said yes to you and their call to salvation. And there are uh, other calls that you're placing in their life that, to help them grow and to participate more in your kingdom or differently in your kingdom. And so we pray that we would no longer resist that calling, that we would not resist your working in our lives, that we would, like Joseph, say yes to you, even, even if today we don't know answers to all of our questions and we don't know all that, that it is going to require of us. But may we say yes and, and be willing to adjust and edit the things of our lives that need to be changed so that you can do your work in us. Whatever it is, God, our, our great prayer is that you would do in us what you would want as the shaper and strengthener of our lives. And we trust that as you work in our individual lives that you always at work on a bigger scale. Because through us, in part, you will impact the world around us. Our lives and the people around us are changed as we are changed. And they see you more clearly because of the work that you are doing in our life. So, we invite you now. Would you shape and strengthen us? Would you please be honored as we sing this song now of response back to you as a prayer of speaking about how wonderful and beautiful you are, Jesus, to love us enough to come and be with us and to work with us and to lead the way. Receive the song of gladness we ask you now in Jesus' name.